So can, can we bring up the first verse? Uh, yes, the first verse. There we go. So I do have a couple of verses that I wanted to intertwine in, into the message, and this is, this is the first one. Um, it's Psalms 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So when I read that, hear that, uh, I think of, of course, the wounds that I have. And as I alluded to a little bit uh, earlier, those are physical wounds. Maybe you have emotional wounds, mental wounds, whatever the case may be, whatever you're struggling with. Those wounds, no matter what they are, I think create scars, which was a segue into uh, my favorite song of all time. And so as you're thinking about that and you're thinking about the song, I want to go back to the hospital. Remember, I, I just got in there. And to just give you a little background on my family dynamics at the time, I had a, another brother who was seven years old at the time. And a, a month prior to my accident, he was struck and tragically killed in a train accident. So we're at the hospital on the heels of that tragedy, and the doctors are saying that, yes, it's a miracle that I'm still alive, but. I don't like the word but because I, I think it, it diminishes everything to the left of the word, and it gives power to everything to the right of it, right? So they said it's a miracle he's still alive, so you just, you just devalued what our Savior did for me. It's a miracle he's alive, but we need to amputate his leg from the knee down. They said I would never be able to use it. I would never be able to walk. You've heard these stories before, I'm sure. Well, I can walk. I can't dance, but I can, but I can walk. My, uh, my dad, he pleaded with them uh, to try to save the leg, and eventually they relented, and they said, okay, we'll try, but they weren't optimistic. So I endured 13 operations in a seven-day period. You have, to, you have to imagine this was, this was a physician's nightmare to get this wound clean. The, the dirt, the grass particles, rocks, bacteria, I mean, you name it. So I got through all of the procedures, the infections that ensued afterwards, which in some regard were more life-threatening than even the original accident. And they utilized a unique at the time, this was over 30 years ago, post-operative technique where they actually stitched my leg to the back of my hamstring like this. And that was to facilitate growth on the back of my heel. And I was like that for two months. If you can imagine how stiff that leg was at the end of that two months, they had to separate it with a scalpel and there was superficial scarring and, and such. I mean, today if I sit crisscross applesauce for five minutes, I can't walk straight for an hour. <laughs> Uh, so I got through that, and then I was in the hospital for another four months, so six months total. I'm going through rehabilitation, physical therapy. I'm learning how to walk again. Remember, I was only three. I was a young three. I had just celebrated my birthday a couple weeks prior, so I've been walking for 12 months or so, a little more. So at the end of that six-month stay, I'm being discharged, and at this point, I have a left foot that's a full shoe size smaller than my right which the doctor said would create major balance issues so I could forget about playing sports or anything of that nature. I had a, a calf muscle. Well, my left leg had a calf muscle that was less than half of what was in my right. I've got about 40% of the muscle in my left leg as I do my right. 
I had no cartilage in my left knee. <clears throat> and uh, the kicker was they said that I should avoid any extracurricular activity whatsoever, anything that would create any undue stress to my leg or foot. But let me tell you about my Jesus. <laughs> A couple years later, many of you know of my uh, love for football. I wanted to be the next Bernie Kosar, so I wanted to play football, but I was only six years old. And the doctor said I wouldn't be able to do something like that. But I was fortunate enough not just to play that year. I played 12 straight years every year all the way through my senior year of high school. And I was blessed not just to play, but I even managed to set a few of my high school records while I did. So what I want to do is put a pin in this time period right now as I was finishing high school, because as I stated earlier, my story is about more than overcoming a lawnmower accident. Some of you have heard me joke that the best part of my childhood is that it's over which is, is very true. I grew up in inner city, Akron, Ohio. It was poverty stricken, riddled with crime. I really didn't have the basic necessities of life to make matters worse, worse excuse me. Food, clothing, shelter. I didn't, I didn't know where the next meal was coming from. And many times it didn't come. I wore clothes way past the size that they should have been worn. Heat was a luxury. I even had a dirt floor for a season. So eventually I ended up in the foster care system. I spent three years in foster care. And um, what I would like to do is just give you a quick snapshot uh, into the foster care system. Some of you may be aware, some of you maybe not. Currently there's 500,000 kids in America that are in foster care. 70% of inmates in American prisons have touched the foster care system, and 80% of those on death row have spent time in foster care. Education statistics are even worse. 50% of those that have spent any time whatsoever in foster care don't graduate high school, and 95% don't get a college degree. But let me tell you about my Jesus. Mm -hmm. See, I shouldn't be standing before you today. I shouldn't have many of the accomplishments that I have in my life. That's what the numbers tell you. It's what the statistics suggest. But my God, he doesn't, he doesn't succumb to those numbers of the secular world. Where's Chansey at? You can't put Jesus in a box. Ain't that right, Chansey? Right. You know, I believe... Um, I believe that out of darkness comes light. I think scripture supports that. I was in physical darkness with my injury. I was in emotional darkness with my living environment, but I was brought into the light. See, when I went into foster care, I didn't know Jesus, but he knew me. He knew every hair on my head. I had never been to church, not a single time, but who had been was my foster care family the family that I believe he ordained for me to spend the season with. It was part of his plan and their plan. And so in my time in foster care is when I did come to know Jesus and accepted him as my Lord and Savior. 
And it was also in my time in foster care that my father, my earthly father, he had to meet a bunch of state requirements, as you could imagine, to regain custody, custody of me. One of those was to not partake in alcohol. So he did that, and I ended up back home, and eventually I was able to get him to start coming to church with me. And he was later saved. And he hasn't touched a drink in over 30 years. He, he didn't do the 12-step program. He chose the one-step path. So we sang Sea of Victory this morning, de deliberately, by the way, that came, or the, that song came from Genesis 50, 20. If we can get that up, there it is. I like the NIV version the best. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So, of course, I immediately think of my situation in foster care, right? Because the numbers told us that's, that's all bad, right? That's what the enemy meant for evil. But Jesus turned it for good because if I hadn't spent that time in foster care, I wouldn't have been saved. My father wouldn't have been saved. And you all wouldn't be listening to me today. So what I'd like to do now is go back and take out that pin. Remember, I was, I was in high school, graduating, unlike what the stats say, uh, and I had to decide what I wanted to do with my life. And that decision ended with me joining the Air Force. That's a funny story too, by the way, for a different time. Ask me how that came about afterwards, and I'll share. Um, so when you enter the Air Force, you have to go to, or any of the armed services, you have to go to a military entrance processing station, or MEPS. And there they, you undergo a mental aptitude test, you undergo some physical examinations, and it's to determine if you're fit for military service. And real quickly, I'll be speaking from an Air Force perspective too, by the way, so if you're within earshot and you're a Marine, soldier, sailor, Coast Guardsman, thank you for your service, uh, but it, it may be a little bit different in terms of how you enter. Right. So you, you go to MEPS, you undergo all these evaluations, and you also have to have a, a job specialty picked out. So what trade do you want to do while you're, while you're serving? Sometimes, though, you don't know. Uh, you don't know what you want to do, but you know you want to do it in the Air Force. And when this happens, they categorize you under uh, an umbrella that's called Open General. And essentially what that means is whatever vacancies the Air Force has at that time, they're going to they're gonna put you into that, that job, so needs of the Air Force. At that time, and still currently, the most critically stressed career field in terms of manpower is security forces. You're probably wondering why I'm giving you a history lesson on how personnel are assigned. Well, the reason it's important is because I didn't come in open general. I came in with a guaranteed job as security forces. I saw the video and said, yeah, I want to wear a beret, excuse me, wear a beret, shoot guns, and be cool. Uh, so, so I came in with a guaranteed job. And so I'm at the end of all of my exams. And when you have an injury like mine, there, there's an outside competent medical authority that is supposed to assess you, and you have to undergo a medical waiver process. 
to again determine if you can serve or not. So he tells me, I have no doubt that he thought this, but it still surprises me that he, that he told me this. He tells me that if you were coming in open general, even though he knew I would end up in SF, that he wouldn't approve the waiver. But because I wanted to be security forces, in his words, for whatever reason, <laughs> he was going to approve the waiver. But, my favorite word, but there's no way that your leg will withstand the physical rigors of that career field for even one term. It's a, it's a hard field, heavy equipment, tactical gear, mounted and dismounted patrols over uneven and mountainous terrain, desert. It's very taxing on the body. But let me tell you about my Jesus. <laughs> I didn't do one term. I served for 21 years. I deployed eight times to hostile territories. I spent about four and a half, so four and a half of my 21 years was spent in those austere locations. I was, um, I was highly decorated. I ended up retiring at the rank reserved for just the top 2% of the force. And uh, at one time or another, I stepped foot in 39 other countries, well, 38 other countries, 39 counting the United States. And there I was able to share this story with many, many different people from all across the world, different nationalities, different uh, walks of life, sometimes through an interpreter even. And Jesus gets that victory. He gets it all. I know I'm getting kind of wordy. Um, I'm going to try to land this thing pretty soon. I would like to shift gears and talk about a famous author. His name is Vance Havner. He died in the 80s, so uh, some of you may be aware of his work. He served in the ministry for 70 years. Uh, Billy Graham one time stated that he was the most quoted preacher in America. So I'm going to quote him. <laughs> he one time said... God uses broken things, broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength, and broken people to do great things. I think that's important because, see, we're all broken, which means we can all do great things. It doesn't matter what path we're on. It doesn't matter how you got to where you are, how rich or poor you are, any of that stuff. We're all broken to some level, to some degree. It's the one thing that we all share. It, you know, it, it doesn't matter. This is the one time your socioeconomic status doesn't matter, your, your background, your race, color, gender, none of that stuff, because this is the one commonality that we all have. You know, and I don't think you should avoid pain, which is contrary to what most people think, right? of course you're going to avoid pain. No, I, th I think that uh, avoiding pain and shying away from obstacles is a mistake because that, that hurt and that anguish is a great teacher. And it's through the crucible of adversity that we gain strength. 
and then we have that story that we can share with others. And that immediately makes me think of my favorite slogan of, of all time. It's um, pain is weakness leaving the body. And that, that's not rooted in what it might be rooted in scripture, but I don't know what it is. It's actually, it's actually the Marine Corps motto and it's a, it's a fitness uh, slogan, which I have an affinity for as well. But I think it applies here because if you just give Jesus your pain, faithfully, consistently, childlike faith, and we, we use, we say childlike faith, and it's, that's referenced in the Bible as well. But do we truly know what that means? Like, if, if my daughter were on the top of some monkey bars and we're going to jump off, she would trust that I would catch her. She wouldn't think about it, me not being there, me dropping her, me moving. It's assumed that I'm going to be there. That's childlike faith. So this war that's already been waged, just have childlike faith. He's, he's, he's already won. He's going to be there. He's going to catch you. I don't have a, a great transition into the closing. I'm, I'm going to bookend it with uh, another reference to my song, Scars, which I hope that all of you were able to identify with it in some way. Uh, you know, I think if you've come through anything with the help of Jesus that you can. But I really want to highlight the, the last stanza, or cor I don't speak music, the last words <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the song. Uh, it says that I'm thankful for your scars. Right? That's talking about Jesus' scars. There's the scars that he endured on the cross the scars that he endured with the beatings on the way to Calvary for us, by the way, before he got hung on the cross. At the beginning of the song, we're talking about our scars, but here at the end, it's talking about his scars and being thankful for those because without them, we wouldn't know his heart. And with my life, I will tell of who you are. And that's what I'm trying to do today. That's what I've tried to do as his instrument all across the globe is to tell of who he is, to not be quiet, <laughs> and make sure that his sacrifice doesn't go in vain, to, share, to excuse me, share the miracles that he's given me with no buts. That's my Jesus. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Just listen to this song while we transition real quick. So, man, was that an awesome testimony or what? As you can see, God is always orchestrating our lives, and we do not, we don't get, acknowledge it enough. We don't recognize it enough. And I know it's hard to recognize 
in the midst of pain and anguish and things going on, it's hard to see God moving or, or you, you know, sometimes we don't want to, we don't want to give God that, right? It's like, this can't be God. Like this just cannot be God. But the truth is, is that God is allowing things to happen. No, he is not bringing pain and anguish into our lives, but he will allow things to happen so that we can become the people who he meant for us to be. I look across this room and I see and, uh, uh, so many faces that behind those faces are stories. And those stories are testimonies of his faithfulness. 100% without a doubt, absolute faithfulness of who God is. And we got to hear uh, John's story today. Listen, I just have to say, I got to talk to John a little bit more. You know, he gave me some, some inside details, some different things. And I'm just saying, this dude's life is a movie, okay? <laughs> like, it is a bona fide hit, all right? I'm like, this guy, he was telling me a little bit about his job. And I was like, I promise I've seen that in a movie. I had no idea. <laughs> like 38 countries, this mug right here. I, I just, I can't even, <laughs> I'm serious though. Like, what was it? Hold on, just real quick. Just give them a little piece of what you, like you were telling me about a job. So we were meeting to talk about this and I walked into the, the green room and John's in there like, yeah. No. What? No. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. That's not going to happen. So you need to let them know that this is what's going to happen, and that's what it's going to be. All right. That's it. Okay. Yep. And I was like, let me back out of here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I promise no. that's not what yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You trying to get him killed. <laughs> Timmy, he told me it wasn't you. <laughs> just, like, you don't have to tell, like, but just tell them what you do. Tell them what your job looks like. You told me the other night. Tell them what your job looks like. Uh, yeah, sure. So this is my current job, so not what I did in, in the military, but currently I, I work in foreign military sales, so it's kind of related to what I did and. So I go into other countries now and I assess physical infrastructure, alarm systems, and I evaluate those countries' security response teams to make sure that tactically they're responding appropriately because, well, I should back up. The reason that I'm going is because we, we sell, uh, this is not classified by the way, we, we, we sell equipment or weapon systems to our NATO partners, our foreign partners. And we don't just give it to them, right? We want to make sure that they still secure it appropriately because it's our U.S. government technology. So, so I go there and make sure that they can secure it correctly. And uh, I give them a passing grade if they can. And if they can't, better luck next time. I'll see you in 90 days. See, he made that sound real simple when he told you. <laughs> but, and he wasn't, trying to, he wasn't trying to make it sound good. I'm telling you. He was just like, yeah, so I go in and you know, there's certain things they're supposed to do. And so I go in and I, I check and see, you know, so that means I have to talk to, what, what'd you say, the general? The, was it General the, staff? The you know, brigadier general, was some, somebody high on there? The, it's, it's usually their general, so their version of the Pentagon is usually who I'm 
the personnel that I'm talking to. This mug, he going into the Pentagon. <laughs> I mean, he ain't going to the manager of McDonald's, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he said, I just go in, I tell him, you know, you suck. <laughs> Bring it up to our level. And, you know, they'd be like, well, we don't really know how to do that. So then he then has to, he go like, this isn't even his job, but then he ends up training them, you know. And so they'll do exercises, right? And, like, I don't know exactly how, but it's like, you know, okay, there's an alarm. Somebody is X, Y, and Z, and then they have to go through their exercise. And he said, he'll be like, whoa, 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 bring it in, bring it in. And in my mind, I just see all these guys in tactical gear, like, you know, go, 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 go. You know, just busting out. And he's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, bring it in, fellas, bring it in. They all come in with their guns, like. He said they'd be waving uh, Muslim, right? Yeah, yeah. Muslim people. And he like, put that down. What is wrong with you? You know? And I'm like, this is awesome. That was pretty accurate. That was, that yeah, was a good description. See, I'll tell you, like when, he was tell, like when he was telling me, I'm seeing him like, what? So, yeah. So John is, I, I'm like, we've got G.I. Joe sitting here in our... <laughs> <laughs> in our sanctuary. Uh, if there was any if, security, what? It's about to go down, okay? <laughs> um, okay, on a little bit more serious note, uh, you talked about foster care and um, how people in foster care, like, you know, just achievements and, you know, just being successful in the terms that you know in the world what we call success even just as much as like graduation and then college degrees you didn't go into that detail but you stated you graduated high school hmm. where you did you manage to go through and do college and all that stuff i i did yeah i i missed that was the one stat i guess i didn't cover uh, so I think that was just another situation of God totally flipping that negative and making it a positive or turning it for good, right? So uh, I did finish uh, my college degree in social and criminal justice with a 4.0, actually. Oh, oh Jesus. <laughs> she like, that's my boo. That's my boo. <laughs> Y'all can see she, she over here like, ooh. She like you so sexy when you up there talking. Like that. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> so another another question, like you know, whenever we see God do things and life just transforms. Um, you know, a lot of times we hear of it, especially in the, in the terms that young people use today, I hear uh, the words glow up. You know what I mean? Like you have a glow up and it's like at one point in time you was this and people were like, you ain't never going to make it. You know, you have the, the, the teacher like Lecrae, I listened to some of his stuff and sometimes, you know, teachers back in the day when kids be sitting there rapping and stuff like that, they'd be like, that ain't never going to get you nowhere. And then, you know, you get somebody like Lecrae who's like owning his own record label, rapping, and, you know, it's like you go back and be like, yo, teacher. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in your situation, um, did you ever 
did you ever go back and talk to, like, I mean, just the doctor? Like, the doctor mm -hmm. who told you you wouldn't do, did, did, were you able ever to say, you know, and, and there is a chance that he could have, I don't know, but I know me personally, I've had multiple surgeries um, on my feet and different things through life, and it just so happens that I ran across my doctor's path again with my daughter, you know what I mean? And I didn't know I would see him again, but just so curious. Well, that's a, that's a good question. No, I never had a conversation with, with my doctors, but one thing that I didn't mention was when you go to MEPS, you have to requisition your official medical records and hand carry them with you. And so I did that, and of course I asked questions and heard stories about my accident when I was growing up, but it was the first time that I got to read the handwritten notes of the surgeon that actually performed on me. And <laughs> this was now, what, 16 years prior when, when I was reading them before joining. And they said he had written, there's no medical slash and or logical reason for him not to have bled to death. And <laughs> I, liter I literally laughed out loud because he was right. Yeah. There wasn't a medical reason or a logical reason, Come but on. there is a savior reason. Absolutely, right? absolutely. That wasn't part of his residency, I guess. <laughs> we're, we're having a conversation about doctors, and I was like, yeah, they just practice it, okay? <laughs> just, if there's any doctors in here, I apologize, but it just is what it is, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man, I love that, too. When he was telling me this story, and it was like, he said, the his leg stopped bleeding. Come on. Anybody ever seen, you know, you just, uh, I'm not talking about a nosebleed, you know what I mean? Like a whole leg is just mutilated and it just stopped bleeding. Golly, golly, I'm sorry, I, I could get stuck right there. Okay, so you didn't give any, like you did say, but I was curious about the age, because you said you went into foster care and it was there that you met, um, your, your fam, the family that was with you and you met Jesus, like what was that age? What was your age? I was, uh, I was 12, right? That was um, the first time that I was exposed to church, first time I was exposed to Christians. And I really, I, I stopped feeling sorry for myself in, in the situation I was in because I realized that everything that I had been through and the 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 hurt and brokenness and pain and all that was because I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Because if I did, it would have been so much easier, right? I would have just given it to Him, right? And I, I I was just rocked by everything that He could do with never having had that experience before. I, you know, I think uh, many of us can probably. Uh, many of us probably think this way that if you try to do things on your own, that path is crooked. <laughs> it, it's, it's so crooked, sometimes it's coming back at you. And I just, I stopped at that point trying to do things on my own. Like uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And I, I, and I promise if, if everything that I had to endure was what it took to start a relationship with him, I would do it all over again.
okay, now I know you just said all that, but will you, I want, like seriously, I want you to, don't just, don't just answer a question, do me a favor, will you address, there's somebody out here right now who is dealing with brokenness, pain, um, who, who is wanting to avoid it, right? Running from it, masking it, uh, taking stuff to, you know what I mean? Like they are not wanting to deal with it. And everything you just said is so relevant, but will you please address that person right now and encourage them with what you said? And I know right. in general, oh, like I okay. know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I would just, I would really want to lift you up, right? It, whether it's a, uh, a physical ailment, whether it's a, a burden that it be cured. Lord, I, I pray that you come into this person's life, that you, you open up their eyes and you create a pathway for them to come to you, Lord. And just take that first step. Just move closer to, Lord, to the Lord because he, he's waiting for you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And just believe in him with that childlike faith. And I just, I promise that you're going to see massive movements in your life. Um, I'm going to, I want to close with this. Um, John, your story is amazing, bro. I'm so, so grateful that you shared it with us. I'm so thankful that God pressed upon you to share it. And... I pray, seriously, I pray that God would give you more opportunities to share your story. And not only that, I also pray that God would tear down the defenses of the enemy so that you can give him the glory the way that you've done today. Because you told me he's, he's had the opportunity to speak and to share his testimony, but he typically has to withhold you know, that that's my Jesus. You know what I mean? And, um, and I understand that God's going to give him opportunities to witness to people in different times. But I just pray, I am, I'm just expectant, prayerful, that God's going to open the door for you to do the same thing in the places that you wouldn't even think you would be able to. Like, I just believe that. Because this story is not just, it's powerful, but it's so much more powerful knowing who was in control. You know what I mean? Um, it's motivational otherwise, but it's powerful if you know that God was behind it all. <clears throat> so, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Guys, I told John when he was talking to me about, about his story, the reason I was so excited about him sharing it was because it took, it took us as a church right back to where God has had us repeatedly. And it's, he's trying to convince us that he is just that big. 
He really is that big. He's so big that in the midst of an absolute disaster, he will stop and hold everything to make sure the next step can happen. In the midst of situations that people shouldn't survive or make it beyond this point, he will, he will turn the situation and make it be not what they said it was, but what he intended it to be. God is a life-changing, world-changing, like he, he's a creator. He doesn't just change things. He creates situations. And that's all I hear over and over and over. And it reminded me of a message that I pre preached around Christmas time called The Plan. You had, there was two women. It was a series I did back to back where two women, one woman prayed to be pregnant. And God, God blessed her with two babies in her womb. Out of the discomfort that came with that, she said, this isn't worth it. I'd rather just die. Then you have another woman who wasn't praying for a baby, didn't ask for it. She didn't even ask for this, but then was given a baby in her womb. And along with that baby came years of turmoil and situations that worked against her. And from day one until the last day, she, give, she gave God praise for every bit of it. She gave God praise for every bit of it. Why? Because she knew that it was all a part of his plan. John just stood before us and he, he gave God absolute honor. I need you to understand something. As a speaker, as somebody who's sharing something, it, could, it would have been very easy for him to turn it into a motivational speech. I was doing X, Y, and Z, but then I overcame it. Praise Jesus. I was doing so-and-so, but then I managed to get above it. Praise Jesus. That's not what he did. He said X, Y, and Z was happening and then, but God said differently. Only because of God did I come out of this situation. God put me here. God placed me there. God took me out of that and then placed me over here. Every moment of everything that he said was what God did. We have to recognize that God is in control. He's doing it. He's, he's moving. He's shaking and anything that the enemy means for our bad, he will make it for our good. Because that's what he does. John, again, thank you so much for sharing that. You got any last words you want to say? I, I do not. Uh, th th thanks for uh, listening to, to my story. And, I, you know, my real sincere hope and thought is that it, that it touched many of you but e even if it was one then then that's okay because that's one more person than what we had before 10 o'clock this morning <laughs> i want to take opportunity if there's anybody here that would like to have prayer um i believe in i told i told john this that i might do this i believe in transference 
okay? I really do. We live, we live in, a, in a natural world, but our God operates in a supernatural world, in a spiritual world. And I believe in transference, and I believe that John has been given uh, giftings and anointings, and he's just, there's been something placed on his life for perseverance, not just perseverance, but uh, just faith and, and trusting in God in a, in a whole nother level.